Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are here by your Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our comforter, our guide. And this morning, as we discuss and look at what you're doing in our lives, I want to pray our hearts will be open to receive whatever you want to speak to us this morning about. So come now, Holy Spirit. Inspire these words, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, there should be a PowerPoint coming in a moment. It's up there, yes. Holy Spirit. It's often, um, <clears throat> I've, I've, said, I've said Holy Spirit and you can't read it. It says underneath the missing person. You know, many people um, have an experience like this little girl who was listening to the sermon one day and the, the minister mentioned the Holy Ghost. And he's sometimes referred to as the ghost as opposed to the Holy Spirit. And she thought, well, that's very strange. So where do ghosts live? So she went down into the cellar of the church because she thought, well, that's where the ghosts are, all the spooky things. They're all down there. But, you know, the fact is that adult believers often act as if the Holy Spirit is still hidden in the church, perhaps in the church cellar if we had one. And they may know something about the Holy Spirit, but they don't know him personally or realize that he is God in the same way his, the Son and the Father are God. When they read the Bible, many people are surprised to him to find that in the Holy Spirit was there right at the beginning of time in Genesis 1, chapter 2, where it says, the Spirit of God moved over the surface of the waters. And in one of translation it says, hovered. But actually, the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 100 times in the uh, whole of the Bible, in New and the Old Testament. But nevertheless... The Spirit's role is fundamental both to creation and the life of the believer. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, he receives Christ into his heart. The Spirit of God comes and joins with the Spirit of the believer, and this indwelling Spirit reproduces the life of Jesus in the believer's lives. So turn with me, if you will, um, to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read, should come on the screen as well, if it doesn't. Let me go chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, the gospel according to Luke 
dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which implies that the second volume, which is the book of Acts, will deal with what Jesus continues to do and teach. The book of Acts is not only the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the risen, living Jesus. And we notice that Luke mentioned three things the Apostle needed if they were to be the kind of instruments through which the living Jesus could do his work and speak his word. Firstly, they needed a spirit-authenticated commission or command from the Lord. So in verse 2, he says, he gave them commands through the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he needed verification that Jesus was really alive and triumphant over death. So in verse 3, at the beginning, Jesus presented himself to them alive after his death in many proofs appearing to them for 40 days. And thirdly, they needed more instructions about the kingdom of God. So verse 3 says that he spent time during those 40 days between his resurrection and ascension speaking to them of the kingdom of God. And verse 4 and 5 goes on to show that there's another utterly crucial thing that the apostles needed in order to be the most effective instrument in the hands of the living Jesus. They needed to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Three years earlier, John the Baptist had led a brief renewal movement among the Jewish people by calling them to repent and receive forgiveness for their sins and to be baptised as a sign of the new relationship with God. But John made it clear that the Messiah was coming soon and would baptise the people not merely in water, but in the Holy Spirit. And he says, I baptise you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the thong of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus says in, is saying here in Acts 1.5, this is going to happen in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, John immersed in water, and I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. John drenched you in water. I'm going to drench you in the Holy Spirit. This is the fourth thing they needed in order to be effective instruments of, my, of his life in, in the world. And you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's better. Thank you. <laughs> Pull it off. Buzzgoing around there, that's good. So, let's see. Uh, is my PowerPoint on? Okay. What then is the baptism of the Holy, Holy Spirit? What did they need and what did they get when this happened? Now look, please bear with me. In order to get into this, we need to go a little bit deeper. So I'm focused on what I've printed as it were so I'm going to be delivering a little bit of teaching then as we come out the other side things will become a little bit more uh, applicable and uh, the application will be necessary but at this stage um, I just want to get some basic things across to you um, and so I want to really make sure I'm delivering correctly so in order to do this what happened on the day of Pentecost well let's begin uh, by looking at what happened in the day it actually came to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. If you've got it in your Bibles, turn with it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. 
and they filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Spirit. So when the baptism of the Spirit comes, it is a mighty wind immersing and filling all the house with sound. The effect on the disciples was they were filled with the Spirit. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire appeared on each of them. They began to speak in languages as they did not know. The Spirit was filling them with his own vision of God and with his own passion of God in his own prophetic words of praise. So when Peter explains what's happening at baptism of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 16 and 17, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days that shall be, de God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. So when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, wait for the promise of the Father, what he meant was, wait till the promise of Joel is fulfilled. The promise of the Father is, that, is what is now being experienced by the disciples. And this is confirmed in Acts 2, 32-33, where Peter goes on with his sermon, interpreting what is God is going on, and says this. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So here we see Jesus doing the actual work of the baptizing of the disciples with the Holy Spirit. He enters into heaven, he receives from the Father what he'd promised, and he pours out what the Jews are seeing and hearing at Pentecost, namely the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the speaking in other languages, the prophetic praise and exaltation. So, um, sorry, I'm just trying to, yeah, okay. What I want to look at is what's the essence of baptism with the Spirit? Now, basically, what's at the heart of the matter here? Is it the sound of wind, the tongues of fire, the other languages, the words of praise, the prophecies, the dreams and the visions? Can we get at the essence of what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Or does it have to include all these things? Well, I think we can get to the essence, and I want to get at it by saying, first of all, what I think it's not. And I think that being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the way, the way Luke says, or means it, is not the same as being born again or being united to Christ by the works of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I don't think that what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is the same as what's happening here in Acts. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And the context shows that he is referring to a work of the sovereign spirit who unites us all believers to Christ. This is virtually the same as the work of conversion. When we are born again and put our uh, faith in Christ, the spirit of God unites us to Christ so that you are part of his body and fellow heirs with him of eternal life. You with me? Hang on in there. <laughs> uh, I used to I used to think um, or assume, shall I say, that Paul and Luke were talking about the same thing when they used the word baptism. 
and connected to the Holy Spirit. In other words, the baptism by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 were the same. Many um, able scholars and teachers still make that connection. Um, the view I'm about to give you is not the only orthodox one, nor is it the one that uh, you have to agree to in order to be part of this fellowship. But it is one that I'm increasingly persuaded is correct and desperately needed in the church. We're trying to answer the question, what's meant by the essence of being baptised in the Holy Spirit? I've said that I do not think that the essence is new birth or conversion or being united to the body of Christ. Well, what then is it? And why do I think it is the same as what Paul, not the same as what Paul is speaking about in 1 Corinthians? Well, I think the essence of being baptised with the Holy Spirit is when a person who's already a believer receives extraordinary spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministries. So let me try to show you the reasons why I think this is the heart of the matter. Oh, I've got to, yeah, this coming up. The Jesus focusing on the power, being clothed with power. If we look back at Luke 24, 49, just keep in mind there the, what's happening in Acts 4, chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus said, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says virtually the same thing. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power, from on high. Now you see what's important here is to see that Jesus focuses on of all things he might have focused on in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's focusing on is being clothed with power. So the first pointer that the heart of the matter of baptism of the Holy Spirit is a matter of empowerment. So when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit there is that empowerment that comes upon you. He told them in Luke 24, 47, that they are to preach to all the nations. To and the point of verse 49 is we cannot do the greater success unless we are clothed with power from God. That is, unless we are baptised with the Holy Spirit. The second pointer is that the essence is the picture of, as power for witness. Being baptised in the Holy Spirit is found in Acts where right after Jesus says that they would be baptised with the Spirit, he says this to his disciples, Acts 6, uh, 1, 6-8. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them. It's not for you to know um, times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And so there we have it, what God is telling us to do, to be his witnesses. But he's prepared to give us his power. So here is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is seen as coming upon, that gives power to witness. So that's my second pointer. Notice that neither of these texts suggest that what is happening in the baptism of the Spirit is rebirth, or conversion, or union with Christ. And there are good reasons for believing that these disciples were already born again and converted, and had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And there's some references in John 13 and 15, Romans 8 and John 3, and I can give you those after if you should you want them. 
But even more important than that is the fact that the issue of new birth and the conversion of the disciples are simply not in view in all of Acts 1 and 2, certainly. Jesus doesn't say, wait in Jerusalem until the born again, you're born again, or converted, or put into the body of Christ. He says, wait until you are clothed with power. He doesn't say, you shall receive membership in the body of Christ when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And notice in the third place that when Peter explains what promise of the Father is being fulfilled in the baptism of the Spirit, he focuses on the promise of Joel. And Peter says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a fulfillment of Joel 2. That Joel 2 promises explicitly is not new birth or conversion or membership of the body of Christ, but a new power to prophesy. He says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And the fourth and final reason I give this morning for seeing baptism with the Holy Spirit as a special empowerment for ministry is that it is described as a filling with the Holy Spirit. And this idea of filling is almost always associated with the extraordinary power for ministry in the book of Acts. Notice that when the baptism in the Spirit happens in Acts 2.4, Luke says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The effect of that filling was a powerful and even miraculous testimony to the truth of Christ that resulted in 3,000 people being converted. Now, I don't think we actually really grasp that sometimes because we read it so quickly, but these 12 men, 120 in the room, went out and we saw 3,000 people coming to know Jesus. Amazing. So we have um, we've been clothed with power, pictured as power for witness, power for prophecy, that's from uh, Joel, and being filled. But I want, there's just one or two things I'm going to point out or draw out for examples from Acts just to emphasize the point. In Acts 4, Peter is again filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks with such power that the Jewish leaders, they're amazed at his boldness in spite of being relatively uneducated. And in Acts 4.31, other disciples were praying where, and the place where they were all shaken, sorry, the place where they were was shaken and they were filled, there it says, filled with the Holy Spirit. The effect of their fullness was that they spoke the word of God with extraordinary boldness and Christ-exalting Christ power. And in Acts 6, we see Stephen, who is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us in verse 8 that he was therefore full of power and did wonders and signs among the people. But especially in verse 10, the leaders could not resist the wisdom and spirit with which he spoke. His fullness gave him extraordinary power for Christ-exalting ministry. Paul, in chapter 9, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, a conversion, and the result was that he spoke with such extraordinary power that the Jews in Damascus were confounded. In Acts 11, Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit and faith, and the effect, Luke mentions, was that a large company was added to the Lord. And the last one I'll pick out for now is Acts 13. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit as he spoke to Elimus, the magician, and God gave him the extraordinary power to pronounce Elimus blind for a season. 
So here we see, you know, God moving with his power through the book of Acts because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So in my conclusion to this part of the message, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a believer in Jesus Christ receives extraordinary power for Christ's exalting ministry. This is true because Luke says that being baptized with the Spirit is being filled with the Spirit, and being filled with the Spirit is always extraordinary power in ministry. It's true because Luke says that being baptized with the Spirit is a fulfillment of the promise of Joel 2. And Joel 2 promises an upsurge of prophetic power among God's people. It's true because Luke describes being baptized with the Spirit as receiving power for witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, upon you. And it's true because you, Luke says that being baptized in the Spirit is being clothed with power from on high. So that message of Christ can be taken effectively to all nations of the world. So the, Im- the implications here are great. So then, what then is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowering for service that takes place in the life of a Christian. In it, we are immersed in the Spirit's life and power. I'll take a drink of water. And I can use it as an example. Because when we drink water in a glass, then the water would be inside us. However, if I went to the beach and I went into the sea and stepped into the ocean, then I would be in the water. I'm baptised in it. We receive, as it were, a drink of the Holy Spirit when we were saved. But when we are baptised in the Holy Spirit, it is as if the initial drink becomes an ocean that completely surrounds us. Just as the indwelling spirit that Christians receive when they are saved produces the life of Jesus, so the outpouring or baptizing spirit reproduces the ministry of Jesus, including miracles and healings. Why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We need a power beyond ourselves for service and ministry in in Christ's kingdom. You know, if we do things on our own power, we're always going to be limited. But when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, that's when God comes and empowers us to do great and mighty things for him. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he knew that his disciples could not fulfill it on their own power. Therefore, he had a special gift in store for them. It was the plan to give them the same power that he had. The same power. Not less of a power, the same power. He furthermore promised, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria in even the remotest part of the earth. That's why we are here, we here at Chase are very keen on mission. Why? Because we're sending people out. Let's continue to do that. I was excited, you know, the team come back from Lebanon, they've been there. They've been out. We prayed for them, sent them out. Peter explained to the crowd that gathered that they were seeing the work of God's Spirit and told them about Jesus. And that, my friends, was the beginning of the church. Once Peter started telling them, that's when the church began. Now, 
We can undertake making disciples of all nations with some, to some degree, uh, uh, with some degree of success without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when we do, we are undertaking a supernatural task with limited power. You see, it's God's will. In fact, I say it's his commandment that we be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The knowing, the knowledge and reality of empowering spirit enables us to reproduce the works of Jesus. Uh, the Ephesians 5.18, the literal translation for that, as we've said many times, is, is to continue to be being filled. So it's not a one-off thing. It's ready for you every day. Have you spent time this morning in prayer, in intercession, building yourself up in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, moving in that? Or have you just turned up hoping that the sermon will do it today? When may I receive the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It can take place at the moment you confess faith in Christ, as in case of the first Gentile convert, Cornelius, in Acts 10 and Acts 11. But often it occurs sometime after salvation, and we can read about that in Acts 8, verse 12. Is there anything to fear? Some people fear that if they are asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what they experience won't be the authentic working of the Spirit. But do you know what? Both when they do ask, they're always glad they did. God doesn't cause us to do anything we don't want to do. And all his gifts are good and perfect. James uh, 1.17 tells us that. They're perfect gifts. And the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And Jesus said in um, Luke 11, he says, Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not have a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a daily, ongoing commitment to God. Yes, today you can you could receive, if you've not done it, if you've not received him into uh, the Holy Spirit into your life, then today you can do that. But I want to encourage you to step out of the norm, step out in faith. We've said it before, faith is often spelt risk, isn't it? You have to take that risk. Some people fear that they are, as I say, asked, that the baptism of the Spirit and what they experience isn't authentic. But God doesn't cause us to do anything we won't, don't want to do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an even better gift than any material gift. God wants you to have everything because he loves you and wants you to the best for you. And the Holy Spirit is everything. What should I do before asking? Well, the Bible says that a wise man counts the cost before he begins to build a tower. Now, this beautiful experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a free gift, but you must be willing to submit fully to God to receive it. 
yield to Christ. Jesus will respond to a totally yielded vessel. He never asks anything of you that you are incapable of giving, nor does he ever fail to give you something greater in return when you do give your all. The joy he gives through total obedience to him far outweighs anything you could possibly give. And there's one more important consideration. In Acts 8, a man named Simon, deeply involved in the occult, wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, if you remember the story, sharply rebuked Simon, commanding him to repent. Therefore, I want to say to you, if at any time you've been involved in the occult, and what I mean by that is Ouija boards, fortune tellers, seances, horoscopes, ESP, transcendental meditation, and the like, you know, hypnotism and everything, you must renounce it and turn away from all such sinful practices. And you must ask God for his forgiveness and his cleansing. Now, if you want more to know about that, in the autumn, in September, we'll be doing Freedom in Christ again, and that's one of the things that we spend quite some time doing, is helping people get free from some of these areas, having a time of prayer and ministry, but the teaching to understand what's going on. So if you want to be part of that, then look out for it in the autumn. So how do I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? You only have to do two things. First, once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour, you just have to ask God to be baptised, to baptise you in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you in Luke 11. Second, believe you have in fact received the gift of God. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatians, said, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing faith, with faith? And of course, the answer is obviously faith. You have to believe if you ask, you will receive. You have to believe that if you ask, you will receive. I want to apologise for getting my head down to get the message across, as it were. But I think sometimes the, we, we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the infilling of the Holy Spirit light, so quite lightly, and we don't actually bother to look into the depths of what's there. So some of that, you know, is quite deep, and I hope it's got you thinking about it. Maybe there's lots you want to discuss about it. Then that's fine too, because God can handle it. Equally, whether I can, I'm not so sure, but you're very welcome to come and talk to me about it. But what's important for us here at Chase is that we understand how important the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And I'm going to do something that I've never done before, <coughs> but I'm going to ask us, <coughs> excuse me, to pray a prayer together, and I'm going to bring it up on the screen. Actually, would you mind standing with me? We're going to say it together. I hope you can read it all. Let's read together. Heavenly Father, at this moment I come to you. I thank you that Jesus saved me. I pray that the Holy Spirit might come upon me. Lord Jesus, baptize me now in the Holy Spirit. I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now by faith in your word. May the anointing, the glory and the power of God come upon me 
and into my life right now. May I be empowered for service from this day forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for baptism.